Welcome to Dentistry Uncut, the stuff you wish you knew. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're joining us from. Welcome to Dentistry Uncut. Today we're joined uh, by Ethan Abramwitz. Ethan uh, is a partner with Seltzer and Associates and concentrates his practice on the representation of impaired professionals with a focus on disability insurance contracts, long-term disability plans, employee benefits, and insurance bad faith. Uh, I was first introduced uh, to Ethan by an article that I read that he had uh, in the Pennsylvania uh, Dental Journal on risk management and what every dentist should know while assessing their insurance coverage and financial security. It was a great read, Ethan. I truly enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. It's not something that I would normally seek out, (laughs) but after reading it, I really felt smarter. And so thanks for joining us and hopefully our guests feel a little bit smarter after our podcast today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So give us a little backstory on you, Ethan. So you're, you are, uh, you're a Pennsylvania guy, correct? I, I was born and raised right outside of Philadelphia. Um, Kobe Bryant's hometown, well, where, where he played high school ball. Um, and then grew up kind of always knew I wanted to be a lawyer for some odd reason. It's a unique profession, but like arguing, like advocating was the youngest of, of, of three, so two older brothers, so I was always defending myself. Um, and then went to undergrad, was a poli-sci major, minor in criminal justice, thought I was going to you know, be, be, be in the criminal world doing a prosecutor and, and, and then got to law school and, and my mind changed, got into insurance defense work uh, my second year of law school and for about five years was involved in that industry, first as a law clerk, then as a young attorney working for insurance companies and understanding how they handle claims, dispute claims, investigate claims, and then obviously litigate claims. And about two and a half years into practice, was up in Philadelphia uh, at an event talking to another attorney, Mark, from my, my current firm, the manager partner. And we just got to started talking about what I was doing, the things I liked, the things I didn't like about my, my practice. And he was explaining his practice to me. And we're, while we're based in Philadelphia, we're, we're a national practice. We have clients all over the country. And I was licensed in Florida. I was thinking about sitting for the Pennsylvania Bar. Threw an offer out. I accepted it. Took the Pennsylvania Bar. Took the California Bar. And long story short, I've been with the firm for the better part of a decade. Uh, partner. And it, it's a beautiful niche practice. My older brother's a doctor as well. So it's one of those situations where I couldn't be a personal injury attorney doing med mal cases. I, I kind of would have... And all, more, more conflicted Thanksgiving dinner than we already have, as, as many Americans get to enjoy. But um, it's, it's been great because it's a very niche field. It's a very unique field. It's primarily focused on physicians and dentists. And as, as we were, you were saying in the intro, this unique insurance product, which is income replacement, that a lot of people don't think about until it's too late. Yeah, so income replacement is a is a term that I would guess that most people aren't familiar with. You want to give us a little bit more background on exactly what that term means? Yeah, so when, when we talk about insurance, everyone always thinks about life insurance. They think about homeowners. They think about car insurance. These, these everyday products that either you're required to have in order to have a car or own a house with your mortgage or it's just beaten into your head that you need life insurance. But what people often don't think about is, how they pay for everything in life. And and the one thing that I, I always hear in presentations is that our, our most valued asset is our ability to earn an income. That That's what allows us to pay for our car, our car insurance, our mortgage, our homeowner's insurance. And more often than not, it's, it's the one insurance product that, that goes overlooked or is otherwise underappreciated. And what these products do it's it's a big umbrella, but in general, what these products are designed to do is if an injury or sickness prevents you from working, they then provide a benefit, a monthly income replacement benefit that is there to, in essence, ensure your revenue stream. So I always tell people, think about life as though you wake up today and you can't work and your employer terminates you or your practice terminates you. How are you then going to pay your bills? 
how are they you then going to provide for your family? And statistics typically show, the Social Security statistics show that about 25% of working professionals will become disabled at some point during their career. It's a staggering number. Um, it, it goes on to kind of allude to the fact that depending on how much savings one has, that typically 38% of Americans will end up struggling to pay their everyday financial needs within 90 days. And you just need to look at that from a general perspective, personalize it. How much liquidity do you have in the bank? What is your monthly expense? And how long will that last until you have to start cutting into savings, 401k, and selling off assets? I mean, the other statistics in essence show that 65% Will, will in essence not be able to pay, 65% of disabled professionals would be unable to pay their normal living expenses within one year. So they're staggering numbers. Um, when we talk about disability insurance, I think the one thing that everyone talks about is how much insurance do they need? And, and the general recommendation is 60 to 70% of your, of your gross income. And that number is there to ensure that you have enough to cover what your net is post-tax. Yeah, and I think as the kind of financial advisor of, of the, the group, disability is obviously a huge thing. Um, it's something that in dental school, I think there are a ton of people that come in and talk. Some are not always the most um, reputable. Um, I'll put it nicely. Um, but there, it is a huge important thing to get in the lifetime earnings. Uh, I think you talked about it. everyone thinks about life insurance, all these other things. That's planning if you would pass away. But it's like, what if you live and you are disabled? The earnings for a dentist is massive, depending on are you going to be an associate or an owner? I mean, that can be eight, ten million dollars, right? More than that, depending on how successful someone is over the course of their career. Um, but I think one thing that's really important that I would love for you to expand upon is what is true ONOC and like trying to understand what that is. So you can be disabled and still do other things, but and then what are the typical disability claims that dentists see? Because it is a lot of wear and tear. And I think a lot of people don't think about what disability could look like for them. They think of like these terrible things. And yes, disability is hard, but it can take a lot of forms and shapes. And I think some of the stats, um, some of the things that we talked about in our pre-call, fascinating that you shared. So I would just, I know that's like five questions in one, but just kind of let you go. One at a time, Isaiah, please. One at a time. Nate Nate doesn't let me get very many questions in, so I got to throw them all at once. Yeah, I'll come on. But, but <laughs> it, it just, the starting question is, what is Tronoc? And, and you, you had a good introduction, which is there are a lot of people out there talking about these products, and they're complicated, and there's a lot of minutia nuance to them. There are, in essence, four different types of insurance products out there. There's the individual disability product, which one goes out and, and gets from a, a financial advisor or a broker. There are association products, which you get because it's often because you're part of something like the American Dental Association. There's long-term or group disability insurance, which is something you get based on an employee benefit package. And there's also something called, um, it it depends on how you want to define it, but in essence, there's um, additional add-on coverage you can get if you are part of a group that comes in as like a guaranteed standard issue. So that, that we can go down that rabbit hole, but we'll be there for 30 minutes. So I'm just going to keep it top tier. And in essence, say that with true own occupation coverage, it's something that you typically can only get in an association policy or in an individual disability policy. And what that definition in essence says is that if you're unable to perform the material and substantial duties of your occupation or the important duties of your occupation, and that's what you're doing at the time you become disabled, then the policy will pay the monthly benefit, which can be up to whatever the enrollment limit is, which is the max the company will insure you for. I've seen it as high as $56,000 a month. Again, not every company will do that, but it allows you to have an income stream if you're not able to work in your occupation. So if I'm a dentist and I have CMC joint arthritis at the base of my thumb, I can't hold the instruments anymore. I can collect my monthly benefit and then go on and do something else, work as a dental professor or do uh, expert reviews 
or any other thing under the, under the sun that doesn't conflict with what's keeping me from practicing dentistry. So I earn 100% of my disability benefit, and I'm also able to go on and live my life without sacrificing my benefit. When we talk about modified own occupation or these other lesser tiers, which is what ends up tripping up a lot of my clients and, and jeopardizing their financial security is that there are policies out there that will either deem you not disabled if you choose to work. So you lose the benefit, you're penalized if you try to do something else, even though you can't work in your occupation, or they have a, a proportionate reduction of your income benefit if you don't have this true on occupation definition. And I think even when talking about true on occupation, we talk, I just mentioned modified on occupation, which is something that says you're unable to work in your occupation and you're not gainfully employed. You see the modifier language. Um, there, there's other policies out there that will have a duration, a two-year own occupation period. We see that a lot in, in the um, long-term disability plan. Um, I think another, another really important thing to talk about is partial disability, but we can get into that in a minute. All plans are obviously not created equal, Ethan. So what are some of the, if I'm a young dentist, as, as Isaiah mentioned, you know, a dentist in school that's coming out, I'm a fourth year and I, and, and I need to look at some of these different policies. What are some of the key points that you feel like I should be looking at? Well, I think to Isaiah's point a minute ago, he, he asked about a couple of the, the leading causes of disability. And it, I think it's going to segue nicely into your question, Nate, is that musculoskeletal disorders and orthopedic disorders are, are the two um, main categories that result in disability claims. Injuries, you know, sudden onset, car accidents, slip and fall, things like that, out of the blue occurrences, it's 10%, 1 in 10. Heart disease, um, cancer, they're up there as well, but mental health conditions are also the fastest growing and largest um, largest new set of, of, of claims coming out. But when you're talking about what coverage is important, I think you, you look at it as what are the medical conditions and what normally takes people out of practice. And musculoskeletal and orthopedic neurological disorders are typically degenerative conditions. So they occur and degenerate over time. So it's not a sudden onset, an injury, boom, you're out. So when you're looking at products, the first thing you want is a true and occupation definition of total disability. That's something that allows you, if you're not able to work in your occupation, you can live your life doing other things and still have the income coming in. The other thing is a residual disability rider. So a lot of our clients are partial disability depending on the company. Um, that's a, a rider that in essence says, if you're forced to reduce your work activity or time, so typically time or duties are the buzzwords in the insurance industry, and you have a qualifying loss of income, you are then eligible for a partial disability or residual disability benefit under the plan. And it varies by each plan. But what I always say is when looking at that specific rider, what these companies have is a, a definition for pre-disability monthly earnings. That's the litmus test. And some policies, you have to have a benchmark to show what your loss of earnings are based off of. And when doing that, some policies will have 12 months immediately prior to the date of disability. Some will have 24. Others will have the best two consecutive years out of five. I always say to people, look at a policy that offers the greater variety uh, of those options because incomes fluctuate, especially with dentists, lawyers, doctors. Um, more with dentists and lawyers who, who have their own practices because, again, it's not a, a given streamline of clients coming in. And especially given the COVID pandemic, what we just saw, seen a lot of dentists coming that have had a significant financial hit in 2020, but were able to go back in time and capture a period of time when it was a true reflection of their earnings. So with partial disability benefits or riders, the one thing I'll say is Knowledge and knowing these products is important. Isaiah said it earlier, there are people out there who are selling these products that are more knowledgeable than others. And there's a difference between a true own occupation partial disability rider and a modified own occupation or non-true own definition. And what I mean by that is a, a good partial disability rider will allow you to work in a reduced capacity in your occupation and not penalize you if you choose to do something else to fill that reduction in time. 
So I have clients that are dentists that have cut back 50% and they're doing insurance reviews and they're getting income from that. Under policy A, the income from insurance reviews is excluded. It doesn't affect their, their monthly income calculation. Under policy B, it looks at all income generated from personal services while disabled. So it's one of those things that in looking at two clients with, with those different policies, I've got one client who's able to work in a reduced capacity, take on other employment and, and income to make up for that reduction. Because when you're looking at a bet, say I have a $10,000 a month benefit and I have a 50% loss of income, most disability policies are only going to pay a 50% benefit. It's a proportionate benefit, uh, how these riders are paid out. So I'm getting a $5,000 a month benefit. Well, if I'm making pre-disability $50,000 a month and now I'm making $25,000 a month, I'm only getting $5,000 in replacement from, from my insurance company. That $5,000 is not making up that additional $20,000 in loss of revenue. So I've got one client who potentially can go earn doing insurance reviews, sitting at home, getting things shipped to his house and looking on the computer, and another client who's going to be further penalized by that. His benefits are going to be further reduced by that income. So that's where knowledge really helps. So long-winded answer, true own occupation, uh, residual disability riders with, if, to the extent possible, a, a true own occupation, partial residual coverage, future increase options, the ability to increase your coverage. So when I get into a policy, and Isaiah can probably talk to this, I can set my monthly benefit based on my, my earnings at that time, but I can choose to have less coverage and pay a lower premium. And that's really important when you're first starting out, you may not have the income and revenue that a, a 10 year dentist has. So say I start out at $5,000 a month with a future increase option. At that point, once I lock in this policy, no matter what happens with my medical condition, as long as I'm not disabled, I can then increase my coverage purely based on my earnings. So there's no additional medical underwriting, which is very important if you get this product when you're young and healthy, because certain issues may arise that would otherwise exclude you from getting coverage down the road. Cost of living increases is another one, which once you're on claim, there's a, a annual accounting or assessment that allows your benefit to increase with based on an analysis of the uh, consumer price index. And there's, there's a number of other riders out there as well, but um, th those are, are kind of the four that I think are the most important that if you're building a policy, you should always focus on. I think understanding your policy is, I mean, obviously incredible importance. I would gather that there's probably a, a group of people out there that would suggest that they don't know their policy that well <laughs> or, or at all. Um, I think a lot of uh, the dentists that I've met over the last 15, 16 years are, um, you know, they have the aches and pains, but they just say, ah, it's just part of it, right? Because not, not knowing that this partial disability or their, and, or how much they've been impacted by their, their agging aches and pains, they, they, they have a recourse and they, they just might not know about it. I think a lot of the clients I work with when they walk in the door, we always do a, a forensic analysis of the production and financial records. So I'll have a client that comes in and says, I started cutting back um, January of this year. And this is actually a true story. Um, so we looked at it. He had a, a arm and shoulder injury that, that he sustained while, while exercising. Um, he had surgery. And yeah, he, he cut back in January. But when I'm looking at his production records and his financial records, we saw a 20% loss, which would qualify beginning in 2017. In looking at that, we then grab medical records and look at the medical. And sure enough, he's got some significant diagnoses that he has that, in essence, we're now looking at to see if, whether there's a causal relationship to his reduction in income. And his response was, in essence, yeah, I, I started cutting back. But, you know, yeah, I had the aches and pains. I started cutting back, but I never thought to file a claim, and I wasn't paying attention to how much I was cutting back. And in looking at that, it's someone who probably could have submitted a claim in 2017. And now, again, timely notice is something that's important under these policies. It varies by state jurisdiction, and certain uh, states are much more restrictive than others. But it's 
it's a common occurrence with, with dentists, with doctors, with, with, with business professionals that have dedicated their life to get to a position where, where it's very hard for them to A, realize there's something that's affecting them that's causing them to, to slow down a little bit. But they also don't truly understand, and they're really not paying attention to, the fluctuation in their income, understanding the pre-disability monthly income formula to calculate a loss of income. And it, there, there are situations where we've been able to go back five years in time collecting hundreds of thousands of dollars in benefits for, for clients they weren't even aware they were entitled to. So understanding your policy, understanding what's going on in your life and practice, and I think it'd be for, for dentists that are experiencing some aches and pains and maybe aren't feeling as though they're practicing to, to their 100% of what they're used to practicing at, they should do an annual assessment of, of what their production is compared to year prior and, and revenue compared to year prior. And they also need to be making sure that they're getting appropriate care, which is a requirement of the policies, which is an issue that we see a lot where doctors and dentists don't want paper trails. So they'll engage in hallway consults. And it, it's also something that they don't often have a lot of time to go see doctors in general because they're working so hard. But we live and die by what's in the treatment records. So the inability to establish and prove a claim is, in essence, based on restrictions and limitations, identifying the severity of a medical condition, how it affects one's ability to work, and putting all those pieces together and getting it off to the insurance company to say, this is why Nate has had to reduce his work activity in his dental practice. Not only is he explaining it, and not only does the records show it, here's the information from the treatment doc, uh, providers and the objective medical evidence confirming it. So getting documentation, I think the, the thing you talked about was the hallway or like curbside consulting of not really getting it on the record, no paper trails. How does that then help moving forward? So you build a case, you shared a little bit about, you know, if you feel like there is a case to take and if it ever would go to litigation, like what does that look like and how important is it obviously to have the records that will show that? And then what are the typical results? I mean, is this something where... A lot of dentists, this is a low probability, a higher probability. I know it's always going to be it depends because every case is different, but just share a little uh, bit about that. I think it would be helpful. Yeah, I, I live and die by what the records say. And if there's a situation where that there, there is maybe this is a, a true case. Um, it's a client who had objective medical testing and MRIs and evaluations done for a number of years and then just stopped treating formally. Uh, he, he worked in the same office building as his uh, orthopedic specialist. So he would check in monthly and there was a period of time where, he was, where, where this doctor was out sick and dealing with his own stuff. So there was about a two, three year period where there aren't really formal treatment records. This individual went and submitted a claim before engaging us and the claims were all denied for that period of time where he was engaged in hallway what we call hallway consults um in this case fortunately enough for us that his his treatment provider was pretty meticulous in documenting kind of when they had the conversations so while there wasn't formal treatment he was able to talk about the fact that and we got a narrative from the treatment provider and he re-engaged in it with, with treatment and we had updated MRIs and x-rays and objective testing done where we were able to, in essence, I'd say it's like putting together the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. And we were able to fill those holes and based on how these policies were worded, we were able to get two of the three companies to accept liability during that period. One of the policies was not as strongly worded as the other ones. And while we weren't able to fill that gap, we were able to get them to accept liability from a period when they re-engage treatment forward. So it really depends on a few things. It depends on what the policy definitions are and, and what's specifically required in each policy. It depends on what information you're able to gather and put together. The reality is if you have a client who has absolutely no treatment, no objective information, you're relying on just hallway consults or curbside consults, you don't have formal treatment or care. So a company, really, if you're depending on how far back in time you're looking to go, if this is something where you're looking at multiple years of this type of conduct, that's a very difficult situation. You're also dealing with the notice requirement and the company's gonna allege that it's been prejudiced because it didn't know about the medical. You don't have treatment documentation. 
so they can't contemporaneously analyze and evaluate how the medical condition is affecting you, coupled with a lack of true treatment records. So there are a lot of moving parts, and it really depends on what we're able to gather, what objective medical information we have, what subjective documentation we have, and what other collateral sources can we gather and put together to really fill in the blanks. But if you don't have information from reliable sources that's credible, that, that can be verified, that fills in those holes, the company's position that it's been prejudiced, meaning that but for you not getting this documentation to them and their inability to analyze and assess what's going on, they can't make a reasonable claim determination that really puts the client behind the eight ball and, and it's at times an insurmountable situation, but it doesn't prevent us moving forward from getting things worked up and having a prospective claim. They may be cut off from going back in time, but realizing that there's an issue with care and documentation. I've had clients come in uh, recently, one potential called me uh, in the beginning of the year saying, I'm having issues at work. And I, first question, who are you treating with? No one, not no hallway consults, anything. And I said, well, you're telling me you're having issues with your hand, issue holding instruments. In order to put forth a claim, you need to be under the care of, of a qualified physician who can treat you for this. And subsequently got in, things are getting worked up and documented. But again, that takes time, especially in the COVID world. It's hard to get in immediately. So you have to have your initial evaluation. There, there needs to, and oftentimes there needs to be maybe an MRI, X-ray, additional testing that MRIs specifically take additional time. So get, if there's something wrong with someone, they're feeling as though they're not able to practice the, the way they're used to practicing, they should be getting treatment for that, just like any other person would. That if there's something wrong with you, you should figure out what's going on and, and try to get a a lot of the time these things can get better but if not understanding what your trajectory is and what your prognosis is makes a lot of sense um proper planning proper records can obviously help your outcome a ton one of the areas that i wanted to just ask a quick question on is is related to the transitions um and we're, we're seeing uh, a lot more partnerships become uh popular um for a variety of different reasons. So could you speak on uh, briefly uh, business overhead uh, and partnership buyout coverage? So these are two additional products that that fall kind of in the individual world uh, for for dentists and and the really important products. The business overhead expense policy is, is in essence something that provides the dental practice a, a monthly benefit based on a dentist inability to work or if it has a partial benefit or reduced ability to work. So what you'll see is if you have a small practice of say three dentists, and I don't mean to say that that's a small part, but if you have a dental practice of two or three dentists and one of them for one reason or another, whether it's a a partial disability that's going to be a short period of time, maybe six months to a year, or that's going to take them out for forever, the the business overhead policy in essence looks at that person the, the the insured dentist if they're partially disabled it'll pay partial disability benefit but that benefit goes to covering the expenses of the practice so when my production if, if nate if you and i are in a dental practice together and we're 50 50 as far as generating revenue that covers the expenses if i'm out hundred percent of of your production and, and and billings need to now cover what you and I would otherwise take care of so that product alleviates the financial burden on the practice because one of the dentists can no longer work or has to cut back and that also gives the practice some breathing room to then maybe go out and find another dentist or associate to come in similarly the the buyout policies is in essence a, a product for, for partnerships where if one of the partners, if you're in a partnership and, and you have provisions in, in your partnership, are going to talk about buyouts and what a, a, some, a lot of the clients I work with have, it's specified in the, in the partnership agreement what that person's entitled to if they become disabled and need to be bought out. And those buyout policies have a set benefit amount that says if Ethan is disabled, we will pay him 
$500,000 or $250,000. And it might not be enough to cover 100% of the buyout, but at least insulates the practice where they don't have to then either shutter and sell off the assets because they don't have enough or take out additional lines of credit to, to buy me out that that's been planned for. I, I can say that there have been a, a few situations I've been in where there isn't a, a buyout plan and everything in a business is, is rainbows and lollipops when, when the, when the cash flow is coming and everybody's working and everyone's making a lot of money. And I, I can tell you from a personal experience working with my clients that I have seen 20, 30 year relationships become very ugly as soon as one person isn't able to, to generate income and the other person who's still working is looking at how that's going to affect them financially. And you see relationships, uh, I think there's one thing that, that tears relationships apart faster than anything else and that's, that's money and the need for money and when someone else's situation affects your ability to live at, at the quality of life you, you're used to and accustomed to living. Fortunately, I don't handle the partnership disputes. <laughs> I just deal with the disability. But it, as I think you know, your listeners and, and you, you two can imagine, it gets contentious. It's yeah, divorce. yeah. That I think anytime partnerships get messy when money's involved, the same thing can be said because everyone talks about partnerships or a marriage. You think about family and money, like inheritances. It gets messy then. It's all the same thing. People money, it's emotional and it gets dicey. Um, a couple different comments and then I want to ask you a, a question. So first, there's a big uh, disability provider that I think it was 2018. So it's a little dated, but I know the only line of disability insurance they lost money on was within dental, which was really interesting. Um, and I think that just proves the point that this is um, something that definitely happens and happens a lot because insurance companies are not out there to lose money, right? They're very smart people. They, they understand how to write this coverage. The other thing that I hear a lot is disability is very expensive, right? Like, oh, I'll just get the group policy because this is too pricey. Again, I would cite back to um, just the overall earning potential that you can have over the course of your career is massive in dentistry. And there's a huge opportunity um, into the future. What is the flaw in the logic of just saying, I'm going to just do whatever is the cheaper policy with the ADA or a group policy and just ride with that? Why would you tell me to think about it? Different yeah, I'll, I'll start with the group policies. So the group policies, and I outlined this in the article that Nate was referencing earlier, that the group policies typically have a qualification of what your covered earnings are. And as a employee of a practice, you typically don't have a say in what your coverage is. So the employer provides it. So you're stuck with whatever they're giving you. So the first issue I always say is it, it, oftentimes they'll say we cover up to 60% of your covered earnings to a maximum benefit of $15,000 a month. First question is what are your covered earnings? A lot of dentists out there have a base salary and will also then have a production-based bonus or if your distributions, whatever that may be. A lot of these products, the LTD products, unless you have a higher tier one, exclude anything other than your base salary. So if you're making $300,000 a year and your base comp is one hundred fifty, only $150,000 of your income is covered, despite thinking that $300,000 is covered. So it's a formula and you need to be on top of that. The other thing is a lot of these group policies have 24 month limitations on own occupation coverage. So after 24 months, they'll look at whether or not you can work in any gainful occupation. And there's a definition for that. The other thing is they don't offer true own occupation coverage. So, the majority of, and I think I've only seen one in, in all the years I've been doing this, LTD product, group product, that, that really provides an own occupation benefit, a true own occupation benefit. They all are what we call proportionate earnings. So it'll say if you're not able to perform the material duties of use material and standard duties of your occupation, and you have at least a 20% loss, you'll be deemed disabled. But if you're working, they then, even in another occupation, if you're earning over a certain amount, and again, it depends on how the policy is worded. They then whack you for that and reduce your benefit. These benefits are typically taxable, depending on how the policy is set up. They typically have other reductions for other benefits that you may be eligible for, whether it's pension or 401k 
uh, other disability, whether it's workman's comp, social security, all these other things that take you down from what your perceived benefit is to what they want to do. And the reason is the group policies are sold cheap at a cheaper rate. Uh, and, and the whole thing about that is it, it's all predicated on the companies having mechanisms to reduce their liability and financial exposure. I think the big ticket thing over all of this is that those policies are specifically tied to your employer. So if I leave Nate's practice to go join your practice, Isaiah, that coverage may terminate because it's owned by Nate's dental practice. I don't own it. It's a benefit to me for being employed there. Um, some of the policies do have conversion language and make it portable. Again, it's a lot of things to think about versus an individual policy. You own it. It follows you through life. Once you buy that policy at, say, age 28 to 30, it stays with you for the duration of your career. The other thing before jumping into to the association policies is that if you buy a, an individual policy and you have the future increase option, Let's say I set my benefit at $10,000 a month for my individual policy. And then I join Nate's practice and he offers me or it's provided a group policy. I now have my $10,000 a month with my individual policy. That's with me forever. As long as I pay the premiums. Nate can supplement that with, with an LTD plan where I'm entitled to whatever that benefit structure is through the long-term plan. So my IDI, my individual plan can be supplemented and not penalized by a group policy. Conversely, if I get the group policy first from Nate and then subsequently go out and try to get individual coverage, the individual insurance providers are gonna look at what my current coverage is with Nate, what that monthly benefit is, and that will affect my enrollment limit. And Isaiah, you can talk more about that with, with, with your prospective clients and everything else. But you're in essence penalized on the IDI side when you try to get that coverage in the future. And you may have a lower enrollment level. So if I leave Nate and go to join you, Isaiah, and you don't offer a, a group plan, I'm then stuck with the individual plan at the reduced rate because I came in with 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 the group policy. And that's it's it's a complex topic to digest. I know that I just threw a lot of information at you. I want to stop for a second before I jump into the association policies. I just, anyone that, hopefully people are still at this point listening because this is such a super important topic, but that is such a golden nugget. That is such an important piece that was just shared of how and when you go and get the policies and, and where they're at. And I know a lot of people, especially locally here at the you know IU School of Dentistry, there are benefits and some discounts that follow you for the rest of your career if you get that insurance policy while you're in school because there's some negotiated rates through the school and they're good plans. Um, I'm not gonna, you know, ask Ethan, hey, what's the best provider and all that other stuff like that. That's a conversation for uh, uh, not recorded and or it's just tough. Like it's always gonna depend. But there are some really good providers at schools that you can get benefits that follow you for the rest of your life that are discounts that are locked in. And if you get it prior to accepting that other job, maybe at a corporate location, again, huge. And I just want to recap earlier, just coming back and then I'll let you go into kind of the, the group policies, but the four key things with an individual disability policy, true ONOC, residual benefits, cost of living adjustment, and future increase options. If you get those, you're in really good shape. There are other bells and whistles and things that you can pay for that may make sense. A lot of times, again, this is personalized opinion, uh, it's just extra expense because disability is expensive. You don't need to cover everything, but those are key, key things. It is an investment in yourself to go to dental school. This is just protecting that investment. That's it. That's literally what disability is. It's protecting all that income that's out there. Well, as and you touched on it earlier about the the exposure these companies have with insuring dentists, which is why the premiums are, are dentists and surgeons and anesthesiologists. Their, their premiums are higher because unlike our work that we do day in day out dentists in essence perform surgery every single day and that's my definition and i'm jaded because I'm, I'm a plaintiff's attorney that represents dentists but what i mean by that is every day a dentist goes into their practice puts on their white jacket and sits down with the patient they put sharps inside their client's mouth to do the exam to do cleaning to to probe and test and then to drill 
and do extractions and everything else they do day in, day out. They're working inside an extremely small cavity, one's mouth. They have to contort and bend their body to have line of vision and position to, to gain leverage and, and do what needs to be done from a physical standpoint. There's the cognitive and executive function that's necessary to do this job, where little things, an arthritic thumb, a, a herniated disc, um, Parkinson's, which is not a little thing, but it's a progressive thing, hand tremors, things that wouldn't really affect me on a day-to-day -day basis that may gradually affect me more as a lawyer that, that's working behind a desk and looking at documents. But those physical issues are minor in my life, minor in your They're major impediments. If you can't hold a dental instrument, if you can't hold, I think there's nothing more terrifying than, than a dentist with a shaky hand. I, I think that that scares the heck out of everyone. Um, but it's a reality for clients, especially with, with neurological disorders, Parkinson's. It's something that, again, slowly progresses. But minor issues are major issues when you're talking about the practice of dentistry. And that's why, again, these products are so important because their bodies are in bending and, and contorting in positions, there's wear and tear, where you'll see a lot of dentists, by the time they hit their, their early 60s, they've got some problems, they've got some back issues, they've got some joint issues. What they're doing day in, day out in the positioning their body is in is not normal. It's not what the rest of us are doing, and, and, it, and it has a, has an effect on them over time. With the association policies from a general perspective, um, it, it really depends on, on what's in them. Just generally speaking, I think some of the issues I've seen, uh, and this is really getting into the weeds of it, is the choice of law provision. If I live in California or Pennsylvania or Florida, um, I've got a good notice requirement uh, shield. If I live in New York, it's pretty strict. Um, you're, you're also the, these legal um, choice of law requirements that, that in essence says, I think the ADA is Illinois. It's been a while since I looked at the policy and it may have changed, but I'd happily look at a new, new policy to just confirm that. But in, in general, if you have a choice of law provision, what in essence does is says, Nate, you're out in California. We don't care what the laws in California are as far as insurance law goes. You're, you have to comply with, I mean, insurance companies protected by what goes on in Illinois. And I can tell you, Illinois is a lot more conservative than California, Florida, and, and, and especially in Pennsylvania, inside Philadelphia. So you've, you've, right off the bat, you're out of your backyard and you're in someone else's. I think with the ADA and, MA and AMA policy, you have to be an active member to maintain coverage. Unlike a, an individual policy where if I stop working for a period of time, uh, all I have to do is continue paying premiums. I have a client that literally stopped practicing in, in 2019, was out and didn't file a claim for, for nearly a year because some, she was in between jobs and got disabled. She was still considered that occupation because she was in between jobs. Some of these policies require you to be actively working. I think you also have to look at the the residual disability coverage uh, and and look at how that lines up with the individual products, the, the PMI calculations, pre-disability monthly earning calculations, and a number of other factors. But I can say from a general standpoint, the, the IDI products are sold at a slightly higher rate than, than the association products because they're better products. And it, it may not seem that way from a a, a 10,000 foot view, but once you get into them, there is minutia and nuance that if you're looking at it, you can sit there and parse part. Okay, this is why company A is company better better than the association product. But, but you also have to look at the IDI product and make sure that, that you're comparing apples to apples and not just relying on the generalization that all IDI products are great because they're not. And as Isaiah was talking about earlier, people need to know what they're selling. There was a product out there uh, it used to be a really good product in the in the you know 80s and, and, and 90s, late 90s. They modified their definition of, of own occupation, 
And again, they jazzed it up and, and had it with, with this cool new uh, you know, occupational definition. But all they were selling was a modified own occupation product that was harming physicians that if you, you were uh, totally disabled from working in your occupation, but you were still working, they penalized you once you were over 20. So definitions matter. Talking to someone like Isaiah, myself, anyone who knows these things intricately and, and the minutiae, you need to understand that to make sure that you have the coverage. I would say it's like having a, a homeowner's policy when a hurricane's bearing down on you and then taking the policy out to realize you don't have flood insurance. At that point, when the storm's at your door, it's too late. So if you're a young dentist, now's the time to understand what you have. If you don't have a policy, it's the time to talk to someone like, like Isaiah or, or people who know these products, trusted advisors, because coverage matters and what you get today is what you're going to have 20 years from now and if you don't know what you have today you sure as heck not going to know what you have 20 years from now and i would just add on that so, so one of the key things being if you're going to go out and get an insurance policy have the ability to go and get it from a variety of carriers don't go to someone that's captive that can only sell you one thing i think that's super important and just understand you know if someone is an insurance agent, they're going to earn a commission on something. That's not an evil thing that does not make them a terrible person. That might just be their job. There are going to be advisors that are just going to say, hey, this is what I think you should go get. Go get it. They can help you make those selections. But at the end of the day, the things that I'm hearing is you don't want to go cheap on disability insurance. You don't want to go cheap on pillows, shoes, mattresses. There's lots of things in life you don't want to go cheap on, right? Like, And disability is one of those. And you need to take care of your body as a dentist as well. There's plenty of other things. We're not going to get into all that. But diet, exercise, these things can help you too, to help prevent this, but don't rely on saying, Hey, I'm not going to be one of the statistics. Everything's going to go fine because I don't want to spend a little bit more on disability. It is just a cost of doing business. So I would stress, stress, stress that. And as a, you hit a great point, I will never sit there and say this company is the best or that company is the best because I look at the definitions in the product and it's, it's what the policy says. Because the policy defines your coverage. And a good definition is a good definition. Each claim, it varies upon the facts and circumstances. And once you have a claim, you're looking at what your coverage is, and then that goes off to the claims department with each insurance company. And those departments change over time. So I could have company A that I've been dealing with for five years, 10 years, and they've got a great department. They're really accommodating and work well with the insureds. But you know what? They're taking significant losses on their dental line of business. And management comes in and they get the old guard out and put a new guard in that's really aggressive. And they start raking every claim over the coals and, and making life miserable for the clients. It doesn't mean you sold the client a bad policy. And it doesn't mean that the company wasn't amazing when you sold the policy. But this happens from time to time that these companies get really aggressive when, when they're hurting financially. And the only protection an insured really has is what's in the four corners of that document. That's where your services are very, very important and valuable, which is, listen, here, here are four companies. These are the definitions. This is the best definition I can get you at the best price. And you're in a position to have that conversation and really make sure that the dentist is looking at it from a financial standpoint, but also a coverage standpoint, because you don't just want an LTD product to say, hey, I've got something, or, or a watered-down product to say, I have something, because I've seen too many clients walk in thinking they've got a Cadillac policy. Oh, this is a true and occupation product. It's great. No, it's not. And by the way, that, that $15,000 a month benefit you thought you had, is really a $5,000 a month benefit. It's earth shattering for people and it has significant financial consequences. I think uh, the we referenced the article as we started and as we uh, kind of wrap things up, I think it's important uh, to share that at the end of your article, uh, you've shared, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, some facts to consider when assessing the coverage. So before you before you get your coverage, know what it is that your coverage should do for you so that you make the right decisions. And if with your okay, uh, Ethan, we'll go ahead and, and share that on the website uh, so that people can access it. Um, 
I really appreciate you taking the time this morning to, uh, to give us better insight, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, better insight with regard to uh, some of the different considerations that people should uh, include when looking at their uh, liability and coverage and, and how it can quite frankly affect their lives and their, and their career. I want to thank you for having me. I always say this is a two picture of coffee conversation because it's not a, it's a complex conversation. It's not a conversation people generally feel comfortable having. Um, and, and there's a lot of minutia. So thank you for having me and, and allowing me to kind of open this up and, and talk with both of you about it. Cause I think it's, I live and die and breathe this every day and anything I can do to help spread the word of the importance of these products. I'm happy to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And real quick before we let you go, where, if people want to reach out, connect with you, where would you send them just to the website? Is there somewhere else? Yeah, I, I think the easiest way is, is looking at seltzerlegal.com. Um, they're also free to email me via Bromwitz at seltzerlegal.com. Email link is on the website. Um, but that's, we, we've got a lot of information on the website that, that kind of outlines a lot of common issues our clients have, the importance of these products. And I think that's a great starting point, but reach out to me on LinkedIn, email, um, you can call the office as well. It's the number 215-735-4222. Uh, generally always available to, to kind of take a call and spend a few minutes to, to answer questions or address concerns on this topic. Fantastic. I appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome, Ethan. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Pleasure, guys. Thank you for joining us on Dentistry Uncut. If you didn't know, now you know. Thank you for listening to today's show. The comments on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management and is also a registered investment advisor. Nathan Courtney is a practice transition consultant with Legacy Practice Transitions and a dental business advisor with Cloverleaf Advisory Group, where he's also an owner. The biggest compliment you can give is to share our podcast with a friend. Your reviews will help our listening audience grow. Apple Podcasts is the primary platform for our listeners. If you have a few minutes and you love the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us an honest review and rating. For all of today's links and show information, head over to www.dentistryuncut.com. Again, that's www.dentistryuncut.com. There, you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast platform, so you won't miss out on the next episode. Thanks for listening.